If you have an apple and I have an apple and we exchange apples, everyone still has one apple. But you, if you have an idea and I have an idea and we exchange ideas, both of us have two ideas. This is how information works. That's, that's one of the properties of information. That's why information is so beautiful. The cost of reproduction, the, the, the marginal cost is zero. You are streaming money to Netflix, to Spotify, to Amazon Prime, to, you know, and all the rest of it, um, uh, like millions of people do. And the thing is that the companies behind um, the names I just mentioned, they decide where the value flows. And I think we can do better than that. I, I hope that no platforms will emerge anymore. I hope that we can stick with protocols. I get streaming sets every every minute. And I like also for my written content, everything is value for value. If you take the online advertisement industry in general, like that's a very, very large market. And I think that value for value, for example, can um, take a big bite out of this market. Gigi is a pseudonymous Bitcoin developer and author and is full of compelling ideas about Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. In our discussion, Gigi explained how today's ad-funded internet business models are broken, the ways in which value for value can offer a solution, and his views on paywalls, micropayments, and freedom in the information age. I've also added Gigi to today's show splits, along with one listener who sent in a great question. So if you want to support this show, the best way you can do that is by sending in sats over the Lightning Network that reflect the value you got out of this episode. If you want to earn some sats, the best way you can do that is go follow me on Twitter and keep an eye out for my future guest announcements on this podcast. Every time I'm about to film with a guest, I share an update on Twitter the day before letting you guys, all the listeners, send in questions over the Lightning Network using Fountain. And anyone sending in a question, I will, I will have that question ready for the guest the following day. And the best one, as picked by the guest, will get a share of the show splits for that episode. Quick shout out before we get into today's episode. Today's show is sponsored by Voltage. Voltage is the industry standard and next generation provider for Lightning Network infrastructure. Today's show is also sponsored by Zebedee, and Zebedee is your portal into the world of Bitcoin gaming. We'll have more from Voltage and Zebedee later in the show. Gigi, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. And I can't wait for a discussion about monetization on the internet, the problems with it today, and value for value. But before hey, we get into that, <laughs> yeah. maybe we can start with a a little a background on you know your 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 background in bitcoin your first the moment you understood that you know this was going to be an important technology uh, and then we can go from there all right um so as as i mentioned i have a bit of a weak internet connection you just dropped for like five seconds um i i think the the question was to give a little bit of, of my background and who i am and where i'm coming from so um well, it's I, I like to I like I, I like to think of myself as a as a Bitcoiner first and foremost uh, because I think um, Bitcoin is a terribly important thing and um, I think the world would be a better place if more people understood Bitcoin and the importance of money. My my background though is in uh, computer science and software engineering, so. Um, I studied computer science. I also studied a little bit of physics. This is also why you know some of my writings touch on physics a little bit because I believe that a lot of people do not grasp how 
um, fundamental of the problems are that Bitcoin is actually solving from a like <laughs> systems and uh, physics perspective. And um, after a couple of years in, in academia, I uh, left for the software world and um, yeah, I was a full stack developer and I switched to mobile development and um, yeah, I built a couple of apps and those kind of things. And um, yeah, I I mean, I told this, this story a bunch of times. I think I, I was the slowest learner when it came, when it comes to Bitcoin, because I just, I heard about Bitcoin very, very early, but I also dismissed it very early. And I was insanely dismissive when it comes to Bitcoin. So I thought it was stupid. I, was, I thought it was, uh, yeah, it couldn't work. I thought it would be hacked and so on. And so it took me many, many touch points to actually have a second look. And um, I don't really know what it was, but it finally clicked that this thing is actually insanely important and it also won't go away. And so I kind of, um, yeah, burned down my old life and my old career and went into bitcoin full-time so that's the that's the the gist of it i guess that's interesting um do you remember the first moment like like bitcoin as an asset and bitcoin as a network it means a lot of things to a lot of different people there's there's this one kind of like um interesting use case that's emerging now with the lightning network and with with some of the like payments on the internet do you remember the moment you first discovered that as a use case and like the importance outside of the store of value and, uh, you know, some of the like the inflation hedge use cases, this Internet payments use case? Do, do you remember when you first recognized that as important? Yeah, um, I do. Actually, that was very early. I, I uh, that was kind of the first thing that um I thought was cool about it that oh, finally, you know, the internet has money and we can do payments and so on. And uh, I mean, a lot of Bitcoiners noticed that we always had this, uh, you know, these arrow codes in HTTP uh, with payment required and those kind of things. And we were never, never able to implement it because there was just no internet money that ever worked. Uh, so we only had payment systems um, that were, of course, companies and uh, centralized and still are. <laughs> and um, so my first kind of contact with Bitcoin, I think, you know, was in part with paywalls and those kind of things that you can't just have something online somewhere and you pay, you know, <laughs> back then it was Bitcoins. So <laughs> I don't know, like two Bitcoins to download this file or whatever. And um, uh, so I kind of, I kind of got into contact with the payment side of things. I think, you know, in the beginning, Bitcoin was payments, period. No one realized, um, most people did not realize that the money was so broken and the fiat system was so broken and the, the sound money use case came later on. I think, of course, Satoshi knew. I mean, it's apparent in his writings that, um, you know, he wanted to replace the broken fiat system and he wanted to build a system that is resistant to inflation and like a, a sound money system, we would say now. And um, I think now with Lightning, the payment use case, so to speak, is re-emerging. And finally, we can do micropayments. We, we actually can. <laughs> we actually can do micropayments at scale. And I think that's very exciting because, of course, it enables things like streaming money. And we see this now with podcasting 2.0 and, you know, paywalls again. To my chagrin, they are making a comeback. And uh, I think now with micropayments that actually work and scale and can be used by absolutely anyone because they don't require an identity doesn't require any signups or those kind of things. Um, I think, I think there there are great things ahead for what can be done 
one line that was previously not possible. Mm -hmm. Now, I want to maybe start this discussion about internet payments from the perspective of the current business models on the internet. Um, you know, what, what is broken about the monetization methods used in the internet today? Like, why do we need peer to peer payments on lightning? Why can't we, why can't we just, you know, use the existing business models that are common on the internet today? Well, I think everyone kind of knows now that the internet is not perfect and a lot of things how the online world works are kind of broken. Um, and I think the most people are aware nowadays that the main model that is used online, which is that the service is free and you're basically the product, um, it's, it's not a very ethical way of run, running a business because uh, Google is not only specializing on how to improve the search results, they are also specializing in how to gather as much data from their users um, as they can. So every single business is into multiple businesses at once and everyone is just spied upon and user data is collected as much as possible and sold to the highest bidder. And I think that's in part why the internet is so broken and everyone does it. I mean, the, the big <laughs> five fan companies, so it it's, doesn't matter if it's Facebook or Amazon or, or Google uh, or, or Bing or Netflix or it, it doesn't matter. You know, everyone is kind of in the business of gathering user data and, and, and selling it to the highest bidder. And I think the, the reason is very simple that you, you kind of, you, you were not able to do payments properly. Micropayments never worked. And micropayments have their own kind of problems. But the way that the companies were able to truly monetize was to, to give it away from, for free and either kind of make the users addicted to the service or platform or software and charge them later on. So just, you know, like the crack dealer in the park, give the first couple of <laughs> hits away for free and then you actually have to sign up. Um, or like with um, just having it for free always and um, monetizing your advertisements. And of course, the whole industry figured out that the way to actually maximize advertisement gains is by targeted advertisements. Uh, like if, if you're actually able to know the user better than the user knows uh, <laughs> himself, then you can actually show ads where people will actually click on it and buy stuff and buy a lot of stuff. And so this turns out works really well. And the downside is of course that you have to spy on all the users all the time and you have to build up those user profiles. And um, so just the old school way of you know going to a corner shop with cash in hand and handing over the cash and the clerk doesn't even have to know your name or, or something like that is kind of gone online like every service knows absolutely everything about you basically and uh, i hope that we can move away from this world because i think it's it's a very dangerous world as well which uh, i think we we see some societal issues playing out right now and uh, they have they have been like <laughs> that's the case for the last couple of years these these things are problematic and i think most people are waking up currently that these things are problematic mm -hmm. i mean one company in specific that has been in the spotlight for all these issues is facebook so maybe we could use that as an example um if if it were possible to kind of like fork facebook and 
have the same network effect, have the same user base, all this, um, and have this mirrored version where it's it's built on, let's say, lightning payments or like seamless microtransactions, and, and there is no need to collect user data to serve ads. Do you think that version with micropayments would be more profitable for Facebook, the company? Hmm. That's a good question. I have no because way of, of answering this. Um, so uh, um, it does flip the equation a bit, right? Because it all of a sudden says, like, users have to pay uh, to access a service now. So I wonder, does that change the like for, from Facebook's perspective, they want as many people on as possible, have that addressable market be as large as possible. Um, does it change the way you onboard new users? Um, because I think that uh, what I'm trying to understand is like, if we have this new monetization method for the internet, but it cannot, you know, be a, a, a business model that's as profitable as the kind of like, ad business model they have today, does it actually have the impact that we hope it will? So You know what I mean? I, yeah, 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 I, I, I do. The, the reason why it took me so long to think about an, an answer is like, I, uh, if the underlying model switches, I think the world will look very, very differently. And so I don't think that uh, a, a company as big as Facebook would exist. So, uh, for example, compare the current world of e-commerce and commerce in general with how things were before Amazon existed and before the internet existed and before Amazon was able to, you know, like <laughs> make every single shop obsolete, basically. And I, I, I think that the value for value model in particular, uh, micropayments, uh, like, okay, let's get into it. Like there, there, is, no, there is no way of, of dancing around those, those issues anyway. So micropayments do not work. Paywalls do not work. I wrote a very long article about this and I think the reason why micropayments do not work is because the mental transaction cost is too high. If you have to think about, do I want to pay two cents for reading this blog post, this will never work. Like, it, it just doesn't. It just doesn't. And that's why I also mentioned in the beginning, um, uh, you know, like, to my chagrin, paywalls are making a comeback. I think paywalls are insanely stupid. It's, it's, it's a broken model to begin with. And that's why we see absolutely everyone, like, no one is using... Um, transaction-based uh, uh, payments. Like everyone is using subscription payments because then you don't have to think about it. You sign up for Spotify or for Netflix or for Amazon Prime or whatever, and you pay it once and you know kind of the cost and you're fine with it and you click it and then you never have to think about it again. And that's we also know from the charity world, for example, that's how you maximize uh, uh, like giving. That's how people actually give to charities. They are in a very good mood, they are in a generous mood, and then they, they think about it, and they want to do this, and they kind of take care about their future decisions, and they set it up once, and then you give, you know, like 50 bucks a month to the charity of <laughs> your choice, whatever. And so, so we kind of know this. It's a psychological problem. It's not a technical problem, necessarily. It used to be a technical problem. So who knows how the internet would have, be, would have developed if we would have had micropayments from the get-go. But we hadn't, and that's how you know the advertisement model and the um, data collection model came creeping in. Um, I, I think I think in the in the app development, software development world, a lot of people know that this is unethical and not the right way to do things. So so there is a, a movement against this, and it's basically just okay, pay for the software outright. You know, like 
not everything can be free. It's it's not a good situation to be in because if this thing is free, we have to spy on you, you know. And so there there are people that are creating awesome software, but there is also they are very outspoken about this. Like you will have to pay for it. Period. There is no no other way that we can do this. And to answer your question, if you know Facebook could make more or as much money as they do now. There is no way to answer it because if this transition happens, Facebook will not exist. Facebook would be, a good comparison might be like the postal service. If something like the internet comes along, will the postal service make as much money as it did before? <laughs> the answer is obviously like the postal service is irrelevant. It doesn't exist anymore. You have a neutral protocol that connects people and everyone can use it basically free of charge, more or less, you know, I mean, you have to pay your ISP and so on, but but that's the transition I see. And so I don't see, a, I, I hope that no platforms will emerge anymore. I hope that we can stick with protocols and for like email is a great example. And just, you know, uh, websites are a great example where you have direct publishing, you have direct communication, and you don't have a middleman that takes a cut and takes a profit. And that's that's the revolution that I see. And it's it it is enabled by micropayments, but it won't be paywalls. It won't be like paywalls do not work. Period. They absolutely do not work. As you said, information wants to be free. And that, so so if someone is able to break the paywall, and one way to break the paywall is by simply paying it. So you pay 20 cents, $2, whatever, then you have the blog post, then you take a screenshot, and then you share it wherever. And then you know the information is free. And so I think, I think just looking at the market, like, um, uh, I know you wanted to use Facebook as an example, but I don't have the numbers <laughs> from the top of my head. But <laughs> Facebook makes That's money by, by spying on, on, on their users and they make a lot of money. But just if you take the online advertisement industry in general, like that's a very, very large market. And I think that value for value, for example, can um, take a big bite out of this market. I don't think that, you know, advertisement will go away completely and so on. But I think um, it is just a, a, a different way of, of doing things. And you, I mean, Adam Curry talks about this all the time. Like the, the, the value for value model, it's, it's not like a flip that you switch and then everything works automatic, uh, automatically. It's, a, it's a, very different, a very different relationship to the content opens up and also to the producers of the content and the consumers of the content or like it's a very, way tighter relationship. And there is this feedback loop of providing value and giving value back. And um, what I think is also beautiful by, by cutting out the middleman, by by encouraging by encouraging people to to do it in a self-sovereign way in a way that you cannot be deplatformed you cannot be censored your accounts cannot be frozen your transactions cannot be frozen i think we will have a more more diverse more lively more broad ecosystem where you can monetize with a very small audience. And this is currently not true. Currently, it's a numbers game with advertisements and all the rest of it. You need to be quite big to make a living on, I don't know what, YouTube or Spotify or what have you. You, you, you really need to rake in the numbers. And I hope with a more direct way of giving, this can change. And I mean, we know that this works. And that's also the example I gave in, in the article that I wrote about the, the freedom of value and how I look at the whole value for value movement and, and uh, streaming money and podcasting 2.0 and those kind of things is with uh, busking. So we know in, in every city, in every town, there are street musicians and they perform and um, they perform for free. But 
there is this implicit kind of expectation that people will give, a certain percentage of people will give. It, it doesn't have to be much. It, it, it just has to be enough to keep the music going, so to speak. And that's the way I look at it with Podcasting 2.0 and those kind of value-for-value value ideas as well. You know, the, the content is, is free, but if you like the show, if you like the person, if you like the content, you kind of know that you have to give back from time to time or certain people have to give back from time to, 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 from time, to time, otherwise the music will stop. And we, we kind of know that this works, like Wikipedia works in, on that principle. And I mean, Wikipedia <laughs> figured out that the way to <laughs> do this is slap very big banners <laughs> in the faces of everyone. And I think we will figure out how to properly do this um, over time. So, that, so, so that's my, my perspective in general. There's so much here I want to dig into, but I want to start yeah. back with the, the different <laughs> was a long rant, ways <laughs> of... Uh, no, that was great. It was really in insightful. Um, I want to start with the, the different ways in which you can make payments. So you, you mentioned microtransactions don't work, paywalls don't work, value for value is probably the correct solution in your view. Why do those first two not work on the internet? Can you dig into that a bit more? Well, so... Um, I think microtransactions do work, but thinking about microtransactions doesn't work. Like microtransactions obviously work, but the way that you have to do it is that your podcast app, for example, takes care of it. So you decide once, okay, how, how many sets am I willing to spend per minute? Or like, this is my allowance for one week or whatever. And let's say my allowance for one week is 20,000 sets or whatever. And then your podcast app figures out, okay, like there's so much um, money in, in the spending wallet and it sets itself automatically up so that a certain amount uh, gets streamed. And when you hit the boost button, then a certain amount gets boosted and so on. And so, so the, the reason why... Um, like having to think about micropayments doesn't work is because of the mental transaction costs that are incur incurring. Like if you have to think about, do I want to spend two cents or 15 sets or whatever, or two sets to read this blog post, the answer will always be no. Like it will always be no. Like we know this very well. There is there's a lot of psychological research on this topic. Nick Sabo wrote about this at length. There, there are many, there are many, many people that, um, you know, that, that looked into this in quite some detail and they figured out that if you have to think about it, then like pretty much everyone will just be like, no, it's like a, it's like a pop, up in, pop up in your face. It's like, no, I don't want this. And you, you click it away and that's it. And so you have to automate it. So that's the, what I termed the, the MTX problem. So it's um, MTX stands for mental transaction costs. And the thing, uh. the thing with, so that's the, that's the micropayments part. And the thing with the paywalls, the paywalls are terrible because they box information in. So you build an artificial cage around information. And like we said before, you know, information wants to be free. Like that's stupid. You want to, you want to capture as large of an audience as you can. So putting a paywall around stuff is already the wrong approach. And second of all, because information can be copied with perfect fidelity, always. Like if you can read it, you can take a screenshot of it. You can copy paste it. If it comes out of your, if of your out of your earbuds or out of your loudspeakers, you can plug in a different device and record it with perfect fidelity. Same is true for movies, for everything. Like it's every digital information that gets decrypted at the end, so to speak. You can just store, <laughs> safe, rip, whatever, without the encryption. So DRM can and will never work. And that's, that's kind of the, the DRM paradox is uh, what I called it in the article. So it's the paradox of paywalls. If you 
box information in, if you build a paywall around an article, if the article is really good, people will read it for free because then someone will share a screenshot of the article on social media or copy paste it into Pastebin and just share this around or whatever. And so only the very shitty content stays behind paywalls. Then that's why paywalls are insanely stupid. Like you limit yourself first and foremost. And second of all, like again, information wants to be free. Information can be copied. And so it will be copied. And that's why every single, you know, like <laughs> song that's actually worth listening to, you can listen for free. It doesn't matter where, if it's SoundCloud or YouTube or you torrent it or whatever. Like that's that, that's always that's just it's, it's, it's like a tautology. Like, this will always be true. Like, this is how information works. That's, that's one of the properties of information. That's why information is so beautiful. The cost of reproduction, the, the, the marginal cost is zero. Like, it's, it's near zero marginal cost. And, and a second thing that is really important to understand, especially when it comes to value for value, it's again in regards to boxing in. You don't want to box in your, your information because information wants to be free and it's beneficial if it can circulate freely and you want to have the largest audience that you can, usually. And the second boxing in is like with the price. Historically, because to sell things in the real world, you have to, like this always takes time and effort and so on, like to reproduce something, you always have marginal costs. And so the way we priced something was on a per item basis or per hour, like how much work is it to produce this? And then you're charged by the hour or you're charging by the, by the hour. And with information, selling information, especially once information is there because it can be copied freely, like it, it doesn't work. You, you, do you want to charge for every like download of, 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 of the blog post or every time someone views it or refreshes the browser, that's nonsensical. Do you want to charge people by the, the number of words or like how long it took them to come up with the blog post? That's also nonsensical. So what value for value does is it removes the value ceiling. It's like, how valuable was this for you? Maybe you want to stream like one full Bitcoin per minute by listening to a podcast episode. I don't know. I don't know how rich you are. And maybe it, <laughs> maybe it was, you know, really bad and, and you don't like the host and then you set it to zero so that you can do that too. And I think these things are the, the most important concepts to, to grasp that to, to sell digital information outright, you have to think about things very, very, very differently because an information, an idea is not an apple. You know, I, I always like this, like this, this really drives home the point. Uh -huh. If it's a uh, uh, George Bernard Shaw quote, it's, <laughs> if, if you have an apple and I have an apple and we exchange apples, everyone still has one apple. But you, if you have an idea and I have an idea and we exchange ideas, both of us have two ideas. And that's, that's how digital information, information itself, ideas are very, very different from physical things. And that's why you also have to think about monetizing this stuff very differently. Yeah, I thought that was a great example in your uh, in your blog post, the Apple and idea comparison, um, and that makes sense. That makes total sense on the, you know, the the friction and the cost of making microtransactions, the boxing in of paywalls, um, and and value for value, how it it opens up some of these opportunities to charge whatever you want or, or let anyone pay whatever they want. Now, I am going to play devil's advocate though, because one one criticism that I've heard about value for value. And I don't know that I've experienced it myself yet. Um, I haven't heard people directly say that this is, you know, uh, not the correct approach for them. But I've heard other people complain about value for value in this way. And they say, you know, there's a mental cost to determining how much value you got out of an episode, right? Like, 
how am I, the listener, supposed to guess how much, how valuable this conversation was? Was it $1 or $8 or $4 or $25? Like, it, it, it also incurs a mental overhead, like the mental overhead from the microtransactions. Do you think this may be something that we use technology to solve and we kind of automate in the same way? Because it seems like that was the, that's the way to get around the, the microtransaction issue is you just have it automated and you can kind of like eliminate that mental overhead. Do you think that's also true for the value for value side of things? Yeah, I think so. I mean, th there are some there are some efforts underway to kind of um, abstract this out more generally. So LB comes to mind, um, uh, which is a browser extension, which um, kind of tries to embed the value for value idea into uh, absolutely everything, basically. And the 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 way that like the, the stuff that they are currently working on is you set yourself an allowance. Um, basically, no matter what content you consume, whether it's a YouTube video or like blog posts and so on, like if there is a lightning address present, then you will just tip to this lightning address and you assume that the description of the YouTube um, video contains the lightning address of the creator, for example, or, or what have you. And so I think that's an interesting idea. And then you can set an allowance, you know, per day, per week, per month, whatever. And that's just basically your donation to the content uh, that you consume to uh, what I like about it is it's very very direct and there is like no one takes a cut you know like the problem with Patreon which is similar ideas you know like you build up a, a group of people that support you and it's it's very direct uh, in terms of um, how the support structure works so there is no central committee who who decides which creators get the money and so on um, so you choose yourself directly which creators you want to support but the the problem with Patreon is like they, they, uh, the, the, is the, it is the problem of platforms. They take a large cut, first and foremost, because that's how they make their money. And second of all, they have the power to censor. And if you have the power to censor, you will use it or you will be forced to use it. Because if, you, if, this, if this possibility exists, then, you know, the <laughs> on a long enough timeline, some government will come knocking and go like, okay, you have to kick this person from your platform because they are dangerous or they have dangerous ideas or whatever, you know, like they are the enemy of the state. <laughs> and so um, uh -huh. I, I think, again, like the, the solution to all of this is, is uh, protocols and not platforms. So that's why I'm so insanely bullish on um, the specification of the podcast index, uh, like the value specification of uh, podcasting 2.0 of, uh, you know, Bitcoin and Lightning in general, all, all of these things are protocols. And we, we know that this works. Uh, and it's, it's, it's kind of sad that we moved away from a lot of the protocols that were really big in the past. Um, so we had protocols for chat applications, for example. Uh, XMPP comes to mind. And all the chat operations back in the day were more or less interoperable. So you could have a client, um, you know, that <laughs> speaks to all the other clients of, of, of the different, um, uh, yeah, software implementations of the, of the chat systems. And uh, we had it also for, you know, like RSS feeds. Before we had the Facebook news feed and the Twitter feed and so on, we had just feed readers and every single blog and every single news site um, had an RSS feed that would just, you know, that, that you could plug into your reader and that's how you would 
non-algorithmically, uh, non so without the, <laughs> without the evil algorithm that selects and sorts for you, uh, that's how you would gather all the information. And I think we need to, we need and we can do the same, and we need to do the same with the value flows. And currently, I mean, we are already living in this world on on a platform basis, because you are streaming money to Netflix, to Spotify, to Amazon Prime, to, you know, and all the rest of it, um, uh, like millions of people do. And the thing is that the companies behind um, the names I just mentioned, they decide where the value flows. And I think we can do better than that. And we can we can build protocols. In fact, we are building protocols and this already exists and this already works where you can very selectively tell where the money is flowing. And I think a more direct relationship and cutting out middlemen is always beneficial. Yeah, it seems like, uh, I mean, specifically on podcasting, there's so many different protocols at play here, whether it's Lightning or even RSS feeds, like all are kind of contributing to this open standard and everyone can participate and everyone can see then where the money's flowing, which is really cool. Um, in a world though, where, where protocols, we, we have internet protocols and not internet platforms. Is there a role for like, like what, what happens to the platforms of today? What happens to the Netflixes and the Amazons and the Googles and the Facebooks? Do they carve out a niche? Is there, can the two coexist platforms and protocols? Um, or, or is this complete disruption of a business model? It depends on how smart they are, I think, because I, I, I believe like the difference between platforms and protocols are um, uh, platforms can go bankrupt and on a long enough time scale, <laughs> every platform will go bankrupt and protocols can't. Protocols will always be around. And so by default, the thing that, that, that never dies wins. And that's also why, you know, Linux is winning in the very long run. You know, just look at uh, what kind of operating systems are, are running the internet. Basically, it's uh, you know, it's not Microsoft, <laughs> and so it's <laughs> it's it's well, that's something to keep in mind because companies come and go, and uh, platforms are run by companies, and platforms also come and go. Um, when I discovered Bitcoin, like the first kind of penny drop. Penny, penny drop moment for me was okay that's BitTorrent for money and BitTorrent does not go away and and you know BitTorrent is still around and, and used widely and even though Netflix exists and so on so I think not only will there uh, coexistence um, if the if the platforms and companies are smart they will build on top of Bitcoin and on top of Lightning and utilize this themselves because it's cheaper it's better it's more efficient very much like a lot of I mean, at least back in the day, now we have AWS and so on, but back in the day, a lot of companies used torrents to distribute their install things because they were large files and it was just way cheaper and more efficient to do so. You, you just created a, a torrent or a lot of, I know a lot of game installers, they still use torrents in the background to distribute the very, very large files between people. And you have a very small file that you launch the game with and the, the game will in the background, you know, connect to the torrent network and download all the files from other peers um, to get <laughs> the big chunks of data. And uh, it's, it's, again, a very long rant, but I think if the, the only way to stay competitive um, is to use the open protocols. Because, for example, YouTube, we can already see they are integrating exactly the value for value model 
but not on Lightning yet. So you can tip creators, you can leave comments uh, with money attached to it, and then there will be a little heart with a dollar symbol in it, and it says like, you know, that was an awesome video, and uh, someone paid 25 bucks to support the creator. And YouTube is currently in, in, in both worlds, and of course on fiat rails. But I think, I think it's... Like, there's no doubt in my mind that settling on Bitcoin and using Lightning will be cheaper than the fiat rails. And uh, also it will be interoperable. And every, as you mentioned, you know, it's an open protocol. These are open systems. So everyone can work on it and improve it. And, and so there will be things that are just, they, they will be only available on Lightning. They will only work on Lightning. It will only work on Bitcoin <laughs> because someone comes up with an ingenious idea and then it will only work in the, in the open protocol world. Like on a long enough time scale, the open stuff wins. That's why, like, like, that's why AOL lost, and that's why we have the internet. And that's also why it's stupid to, you know, if you want to do something new, if you want to build a cool feature for the internet, inventing a second internet is terribly, terribly stupid. It's not how these things work. And that's why I believe that uh, it's kind of a winner-takes-all scenario in terms of, um, well, open money, which is Bitcoin, and open payment networks, which is Lightning. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, Voltage. Voltage is the industry standard for Lightning Network infrastructure. Creating layer two applications and services on top of Bitcoin starts with Voltage, where you can spin up nodes, get access to liquidity, optimize your node, and much more. Voltage is leading the way as the next generation provider of Lightning Network infrastructure. And if you want to get a free trial and start using Voltage today, you can do so at voltage.cloud. That was a really interesting point you made about YouTube starting to step into the value for value world. I've noticed that as well. Like they're they're doing there's memberships now. You can join someone, you can you can be a member of someone's group, you can send them direct one-time payments. Um, and I wonder if this is YouTube saying we're kind of maxing out on our ads. Like it seems like every YouTube video I watch, it's like everyone's got a, a pre-roll ad, a mid roll ad, a little banner on the bottom, like an, an ad at the end. And I got to think like at some point, they're just going to tap out of the, the maximum, you know, number of impressions they can get for ads and the maximum value they can extract. Um, another thing they're pushing lately, I think is their, I can't remember what it's called, YouTube Red or something, or one of the, like their, their yeah. premium feature where you don't have to see ads if you pay. And Twitter also is, has that, I think Twitter Blue. Yeah. And Twitter now also has tips. So it seems like, you know, platforms are trending in that direction of saying, okay, maybe the ads weren't the right solution, or maybe we just can't take them any further. We got to find a new avenue for growth. And that seems to be through money. Um, it's, it's really interesting to think that that might be, you know, and maybe this is an opening for lightning because the money side of YouTube's business has to be a lot smaller than their ad portion right now. And I wonder if, if, you know, like, I, I don't know that, um, you know, if YouTube was doing a trillion dollars in direct payments, I don't know that people would have that same, um, like, it, it would be a lot harder for the Lightning Network to compete against something like that. But Lightning is growing, the ecosystem's flourishing right now at a time when all the biggest social media networks are just beginning their push into value. And I wonder if that's an advantage, like a, a kind of like foot in the door where we can say, hey, everything's small right now. YouTube's, you know, value business is small. Twitter's tipping business is small. The Lightning Network is relatively small. 
but we've got the open network. I wonder if that's like a, something that tips us over the edge. Yeah, I don't know. I think um, the, the killer feature will be uh, resistance to censorship, resistance to deplatforming. So um, there will be very quickly, there will be creators on YouTube that, I mean, <laughs> we see this all the time. Everyone's getting demonetized. Like if you, if you say something that's slightly, only slightly controversial, um, then you'll be demonetized and you won't get any ad income. And the same will be true for these di direct payments and uh, those typic features and so on. Like if, if it's, if it's a, a video that is, you know, like um, <laughs> labeled as problematic by YouTube, then you won't be able to send money to this video to the creator or what have you. And so um, I think it's interesting because most creators on YouTube um, that are actually big, they are dancing right on, on this line because you want to be controversial to maximize your you know like virality and audience and so on but you don't want to step over the line because then you're getting demonetized so you know we're already in this weird territory where people are basically flirting with censorship because it maximizes your gains <laughs> and so oh. i think it's 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 um for for centralized platforms this will always be the case because the platform rank orders the results for you and decides what you will watch next and it will present it will do the selection for you and so if you are actually deplatformed and pushed on the ground like i don't know some someone like alex jones or whatever like pick your name there's like ten thousand examples then you will um have to do it differently in the sense that um you're not on the platforms anymore so 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 you kind of uh, I'm, I'm missing the right words to talk about this in a good way because I think I think the beautiful thing of being off the platforms is that you can actually grow your own audience without having to trick the algorithms and without ha having to play the platform game. So it's more honest and more direct and I think also more sustainable because you also, you know, less prone to self-censorship, for example, because you can actually talk about whatever you want, <laughs> basically. And if, the, if your audience still likes you and wants to support you, then you'll be good. You know, like that's what Adam Curry also talks about all the time. Like how, how big do you actually have to be? Not everyone has to be a Joe Rogan to make it because in the end if mm -hmm. you're doing something that's that you absolutely love to do and it might be very niche you know like it might be <laughs> I don't know what you know like <laughs> just um, <laughs> growing a certain underwater uh, kind of flower maybe. or yeah underwater basketball like wh whatever like pick your, <laughs> pick your pick your strange hobby and if you if you like if if you do it in a value for value way then you know like 200 supporters might be enough it might be enough. And it's, mm -hmm. it's like if you have 2,000 people listening and like a certain percentage uh, supports you, that might be enough. And, and maybe you can do it as a, a part-time or full-time thing then. And I think that's very, very beautiful. And you can do it, you can do it without any, like you don't have to be nervous about it. Like if, if you keep doing what you're doing, people will still keep giving you money. If your content remains interesting and, and, and engaging and those kind of things, then you can just keep doing it because you, you, you don't have to be afraid of the platform risk. And the platform risk is censorship, deplatforming, and also bank risk, you know, like you can be debanked. I mean, just, you know, I mean, Canada was a perfect example. You, <laughs> yeah. you know, honk twice for getting deplatformed from society. And <laughs> it's, it's, I think, I think we, we kind of, we will, we will only see an 
in the fiat world, so to speak, or in the in the in the centralized world, we will only see an increase of of of, of these kind of phenomena, where um, you have to be very careful about what you say, and you have to self-censor a lot, and you have to constantly watch out uh, about you know, like the topics you choose, the interests you choose, the, the, the words you use, because also this changes all the time, you know, like a, a discussion about biological gender 10 years ago wouldn't have been problematic, probably. And now if you want to do biology lectures on YouTube, you're probably getting demonetized just by talking about biological sex differences or, or what have you, you know, like it's, and it changes all the time, like who knows what it will be in, in five years from now. And it's, it's, it's just, uh -huh. I, I see it, I see it, I see it as an exit option as an alternative to kind of the ridiculousness of this overbearing governance, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's coming from all sides. It's coming from, from politics. It's, it's in the end, a, a, a problem of centralization. Because if you centralize things, you have centralized control. And it's impossible for you to figure out, like, what is okay to say and what is okay to say in, 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 for this group of people for this culture for for example like a gaming culture for example has very different standards about like what is actually an insult and what is acceptable to say and and i i mentioned this because one of the platforms that championed direct monetization was twitch and twitch grew out of the gaming world and it grew out of streaming and uh you know watching other people play computer games and streaming tour tournaments and so on and uh you know like you could you could tip money directly and i, I think every all of this will exist Enlightening very very soon. In fact, uh, people like ArcPTC they are already uh, they already implemented plugins uh, like the streamer copilot and, and those kind of things. Uh, so this already kind of works. But of course, you know, like it's it's beyond early for value for value and and uh, streaming money on Lightning and, and all those kind of things. But the, the reason why I point all of this out is that on Twitch there were a lot of kind of. Um, platforming events in the past and in my opinion it was all ridiculous because it, it's just gamer culture and you cannot you cannot have like one central decision body that decides what is okay and what is not and we kind of you know like we figured this out all in the past that's why we have the first amendment like free speech i cannot say what is okay to say and what is not okay to say and that's also you know like in christianity that's why the logos is sacred we figured this out like 3,000 years ago, probably, that this just never works to police speech and censorship yeah. of thoughts and ideas and, 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 and speeches is always bad. And I think if you have a central entity, the central entity can decide and wants to decide what is okay and what is not, and this never scales, and so it, it's, it's kind of, it eats itself. So when you look into the future then, and you think about an internet ruled by protocols rather than platforms, what are some of the second order effects of that? What are the biggest yeah, I th changes? I think, I think we, it's, it's a good question. I think, I think we can't know. I think we, we really can't know. I, I, I can only say from, from personal experience kind of, um, I, I mentioned some of the things I think, um, less censorship and less self-censorship. I think, uh, kind of, we see this already that we, we <laughs> how should I put it, like 25 years ago, everyone consumed the same media, the same news, watched the same shows, watched the same movies. We had the same culture. Like if, if you look at Western culture in, in the US in particular, but also US and Europe and so on, like it, there were only like five shows on TV and you watched them and there were only like 10 big blockbuster movies a year and everyone watched all the movies <laughs> and, and this already exists it does not exist anymore because now everyone 
is in their own filter bubble of their own making and also of the alg algorithms making. And it doesn't matter if it's the YouTube algorithm or the Netflix algorithm or the Google algorithm or like Facebook, Twitter, it doesn't matter. Um, I, I think if we move to a more decentralized, more protocol focused world, um, the same thing will happen for more areas um, like we saw when the internet came up. There was a blog for, or a homepage or whatever for absolutely everything. And if you have a certain interest, you will find it online and you will find a, a small community or group of people online that is interested in that. And I think we will see um, kind of more of this, but uh, like I think these effects will even be stronger because now there is money and monetization behind it and there is value behind it. And I, I really hope that it it will kind of you know, like you have, I think you have to kind of take the good with the bad. So there will be, the, just like with the internet, not the utopia of the internet did not play out because <laughs> it turns out that making information and a very powerful information system available to everyone, absolutely everyone, has certain side effects as well. And, you know, I mean, we all know the kind of, you know, hashtags, <laughs> basically, of fake news and misinformation and uh, those kind of things. And um, I think it, it will change in the sense that it will be harder to um, kind of... It will, be, it will be harder to censor people. And this can be very good. For example, if you look at movements like the Arab Spring, or if you want to, if you want to topple a dictator, um, the first thing that that dictator will do is, you know, try to find out who you are, freeze your bank accounts, those kind of things. And this will be harder as the technology around Bitcoin uh, improves. And and this is already quite hard. You know, like <laughs> monetization, mon monetizing a cause. Getting money to a cause is um, already something that's thanks to Bitcoin. It's borderline impossible to stop if you if you know what you're doing, and I think um, yeah. this can be a good thing, and it can also, of course, you know, it it can be a, a bad, even dangerous thing as well. So I don't know what the future brings. I'm 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 basically eternally optimistic because I, be, I believe that most people are good and I think we can see this already on, 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 on YouTube you know like you can learn absolutely everything on YouTube there's like <laughs> doesn't matter what kind of subject there will be some Indian guy that explains it to you way better than <laughs> anyone else can and I think we will see more of that I think people will be able to follow their passion I think people will be able to actually do what they love and um, you know monetize this and make a living of it and so on and I, I, I mentioned in the beginning <laughs> uh, in the beginning of this rant that um, I, I can only speak from experience because that's what I'm doing like I switched all my stuff to a value for value model and I get streaming sets every every minute and I like also for my written content everything is value for value and so I get uh, micro payments like for the written content every hour uh, and sometimes I get bigger payments and you know like if if the current trajectory of Bitcoin and lightning and the whole value for value idea and those kind of things continues then very soon you know like uh, I mean I already don't do anything else basically but <laughs> it's I, I think a lot of people will be able to follow their passion and just monetize it directly I think that's that's uh, how it will shake out do you think that when we look at if we if we bundle all creators together, internet creators, and we we think about how much they earn today through ads, and we think about how much they could earn through value for value at a, at a time maybe when 
Lightning payments are ubiquitous on the internet. Let's imagine we get there and, and everyone knows how to use Lightning. How do you think about how much, well, first off, do you think creators will earn more than they are today? And how much, how much more? How do you think about, you know, how many new people can be enabled to start a career around something they really care about because of the monetization and the, and the ease of, you know, the ease of sending payments across the internet? I think, I think it will, um, I think it will be terribly hard to measure. I think, or I hope what will happen. Like if, if, if my kind of thoughts around this and my base assumptions are correct, then uh, lightning and value for value uh, and like censorship resistant technologies uh, around it because like the, the thing is also like let's take YouTube for example um, if your content is extremely spicy YouTube will just delete the video so you will have to self-host um, your videos or your um, mp3 files if it's a podcast and so on and so the same is true for blog posts and, and those kind of things like uh, we now we, we saw this already it's always the same story you know like something starts out uh, very ideologically aligned and now you know everyone is writing on Substack previously it was medium or what have you and then the thing gets big enough and then you know it gets political and then you know blog posts get deleted or what have you and so this is always the same story that's why I, uh, why I say free speech platforms cannot and will never exist only free speech protocols can exist because it, it's like if someone else can delete your stuff they will delete your stuff on a long enough timeline they, like you will say something stupid or something wrong or something politically incorrect and then it will be deleted so i i think uh, like if with, with all of this being said in terms of how much money will you make how much money will creators make and so on i i think that we have we always have a Pareto distribution of um, who are actually the people that are making the, the most money. And I think with online, it's even like there is the there is the 1% principle online. It's like you have 1% of people that write comments on Reddit or what have you or on YouTube and 99% that, that just lurk, that just watch, that just consume. And so I think um, with the centralized platforms, let's take YouTube again, you, you will have the algorithm decide what is viral, what is presented, what is in play next and so on. And so you will have, um, in the current landscape, you have a very, very long tail of people that make very, very little. And I think what Bitcoin and Lightning and censorship resistant technologies can do is to fatten this long tail that more of the people that made less with advertisements and so on will make more. And I think if we move away, like we, we don't necessarily have to move away from centralized platforms completely because content discovery is a, an insanely tricky problem. But what I hope will pop up is that we will have different ways of discovering content, not only just word of mouth and so on, but maybe different specialized portals or algorithms or and so on that you can select i mean jack dorsey talked about this as well that's his idea for twitter and the twitter feed and decentralizing the twitter feed where it's not some black box magic that actually selects and sorts and rank orders and filters your feed but you have 25 different algorithms or like 10,000 different algorithms that you can choose from and then you can you know like <laughs> whatever floats your boat you can do your own or help with your own content discovery and i think this will be increasingly important we see this already with books like uh, everyone who reads a lot knows this there even if you're 
interest is very limited. There are more books on this topic that are really, really, really good <laughs> than you will ever have time to read. You know, like there, there, there are mm -hmm. so many insanely good book, books. You have to be very selective with what you put in your queue, so to speak. And I think the same will be true for, it's already true for videos and podcasts and so on. Like Bitcoin podcasts are a great example. I still listen to a lot of Bitcoin podcasts, but there's way too much in the English speaking and now also in the German speaking world. I have no chance ever of listening to all of it. Even it would be very interesting to me. So we, we will have to resort to some form of centralization just to do the selection. And I think depending on the content selection, and depending on um, kind of how people are able to grow their audience size, we will see a fattening of the fat tail and hopefully um, more fair distribution than we, th what we currently see. Because it's not even Pareto, it's like 99% versus the 1% that make all the money. Like how many big YouTubers are there? There's like, you know, 50 that make all the money or 20 or I don't know. Uh, and, and they make like millions and millions and millions and everyone else is in comparison, a small fish, so to speak. And in terms of monetizing your stuff, on YouTube, like those content creators and YouTube itself as well, it took, I, I don't know how, how long it took them to figure out how to be insanely profitable, but probably like 10 years or so. Like how, how can you maximize ad revenue? The platform had to evolve, uh, the way that ads are presented had to evolve, the alg algorithms had to get better, and the creators had to learn how to interact with the audience so you know that they won't switch off the video just because there are ads in it and so on. And so, you know, and everyone knows this is like, when when YouTube was small, the like and you know hit the subscribe button and ring the bell and so nothing of that existed, and and so everyone had to figure this out how to how to deal with the monetization side of things. And I think we will see the same now with value for value. You know, like what to do, how to include boostergrams into your show, how to ask people to give value, like actually let them know that there is a you know a new set of podcasting apps. At, newpodcastingapps.com that you can download and then you can put sets on it and then you can stream value and you can send a boostergram and you know if you're lucky it will be read on the show and, and so on and so forth and I think we will all figure this out and I think if we do it correctly again I think Lightning and Value for Value and Podcasting 2.0 and, and all those things they will fatten the long tail of content creators yeah I agree and um, you know my personal anecdote here is just that I've seen in the last month or so yeah, maybe, maybe it's mostly in the last month, but maybe in the last two months as well. The number of people supporting this show has just exploded. Like every single time now, I'm just seeing new people participating, sats coming in from new users. And I'm like, I remember the first few months, it was like there was like five or 10 users and I, I knew all of them by <laughs> name almost. And now it's like yeah. all the people who are sending in sats, I've never heard of them before. They're all brand new. And so it's great to see that you know, at least my personal anecdote is is that this is getting traction. I think that is true more broadly as well. And, um, you know, I can say also like already it earns more on, you know, the show earns more on value for value sat streaming than it does on YouTube because I do post there these you episodes to YouTube as well. <laughs> and so it, it's it's quite impressive to see how, you know, this is already, it already makes sense for a certain subset of creators. Like I might be biased because the topic that I discuss is mostly Lightning Network itself. But as it as this expands, I think it starts to make sense for more and more creators. Oh, absolutely. Um, and also, we saw this on Twitch that no one has to know or care like 
what the technology is that that, that runs below it. Like it, the, we don't yeah. have to call it Sats or Lightning or Bitcoin. I mean, Bitcoin definitely has like a marketing problem, so you definitely should not call it Bitcoin ever. It's like <laughs> Linux, you know, it sounds scary and bad, and I don't know what. <laughs> so you have to rebrand as Android, and suddenly it takes off. And for Twitch, it was you know like they have like twenty five different emojis, and every emoji is a different value, and and so on. And and that's how I think. Um, it will find its way into the broader consciousness that there you just have these kind of things these weird things that you send around and 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 everyone knows that this is valuable no one knows how it works and you can actually redeem it and, in, and, in, and then you have something that's like called sets in your wallet and you can actually either spend them directly or just go somewhere and then you you get a hundred bucks for a couple of sets or whatever and i think that's like it's just like with the internet i always you know i always say the same thing like no one know no one knows how the internet works no one knows how a smartphone works no one knows how a car works like no one will know um, that lightning is used underneath like people make phone calls all the time with like at, at the point where we switched to voice over ip people were making phone calls with the regular old phones and they had no idea that they were using the internet like it, it's that's always how it works but i think you know your data point is an excellent one because i see the same thing like it 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 blows my mind that like almost every single second i get some satoshis streamed in from somewhere you know like i <laughs> and i don't even have my own podcast you know like <laughs> not really <laughs> well, so, so so it's it's insane how well it works like even because uh, uh, i mean for you as well i think f for me it's especially mind-blowing because i i know um, some at least of the technical details of the lightning network and i know all the problems you know like it's it's amazing to me that it actually works as hacky as it is now you know like it, it was never intended for these kind of things like it's a it's a key send hack currently and it will get better and better and better and better you know like 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 with amp it will get better and like there's so many improvements ahead still and it already works it's amazing you know like it's it's amazing and like you mentioned you don't even know these people and for me as well like sometimes people yeah. include comments with the payments or with bootstagrams and so on and they're like from you know halfway across the world and it's like <laughs> it, it's so amazing and, and also one one thing that, that that's worth mentioning that i always love i always love this idea because I, I i have it in the article as well and i brought it up before with the example of busking you know the thing about busking of a street performer of a street musician in a town square is that it's both limited in time and in space the town square is very small like how many people can you gather around a hat you know a real world hat where you throw money in it's like 200 people 500 max something like that i don't know but it's 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 not millions of people and how long does the performance last you know like an hour max like 30 minutes whatever this podcast will you know if you take care of your hosting and so on and so forth it will stay online forever basically and if we take care mm -hmm. of our lightning notes they will stay online for basically forever as well and so you know like 10 years from now someone could stream a lot of money towards the notes and who knows who, who will get it and who knows <laughs> you know if it still works and so on but i think it will still work because all of these things work right now and they are open protocols and so they will only they will only improve and it will always be there just like email is still there and you know rss feeds are still there and so on and it's 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 all kinds of amazing so value for value is unlimited in time and space so so potentially you know if if something truly goes viral or or is is really good and, and and stays alive for a long time and gets shared around and so on we see this even like we see this with old donation addresses on very old bitcoin content that you know over the years 
<laughs> you, 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 you you look into the static reused address that is there. Like no one should do it. It's very bad for privacy. But still, uh, that's how we did it back in the day. And you can you can see that over the years there was like you know 25 Bitcoin donated for this blog post or whatever you you know. And it's mind blowing. <laughs> the, the same will be true. Like if if the the assumptions I hold are are somewhat true, the same will be true for the podcast episodes that are you know receiving the first streaming sets now and uh, the the first kind of value for value payments now on lightning yeah it's incredible to think about um if you were to guess what the you know first if you if you think about like what the first value for value application to find product market fit uh will be and i mean when i mean product market fit i mean it on a global scale like you're walking down the street and you see see some people on their phone and they're they're doing value for value for something what is that first application what do you think is going to kind of like ignite the fuse here and and help help this value for value movement really get attention globally and out, outside of the kind of lightning ecosystem that it's in right now i think i think value for value only makes sense for very specific things and i think it's mostly for selling information outright basically and you're not really selling information because that's the wrong way to think about it it's it is if the thing you give away is free, like is free in the, in the sense of zero marginal cost when it comes to reproduction, like you can copy paste the thing, that's where, where that's where value for value shines. So I think it will be for digital content, and I think um, we are experiencing this right now. I think it's it's just a matter of time until um, this finds broader use and broader awareness. It's mostly uh, education and awareness issue currently and of course you know like i'm aware that lightning can scale indefinitely and, and those kind of things that there are a lot of <laughs> problems to be solved but still the main problem is that people have no idea that this exists no it, it takes a while to kind of move away from the paywall and uh like okay i ch just just charging by the item kind of idea you know uh, uh, i think that takes a long time to because it, it's a bit of a leap like it's uh, the, the main criticism that I hear from people that have no idea, never used it, and have never experienced it, and never participated in a in a value for value thing is like, no one will pay for it. Like that's that's the main criticism. It's like if it's available for free, no one will pay for it. Period. And I can tell you that this is completely wrong. It's completely wrong. We know mm -hmm. that not everyone will pay for it, but like two percent, one percent, five percent of people will pay for it, depending on how good you are in terms of asking people to pay for it. And 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 so we just yeah. like this is a constant. This is true. So so the assumption that if it's available for free, no one will pay for it is plainly wrong. You're uninformed. You 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 don't know what you're talking about. Like that's that's not how how human psychology works, it seems. Like not everyone is a scammer mm -hmm. all the time. Like some, uh, again, I think most people are good and if they actually enjoy something, they are willing to give back. And they were like, oh man, this movie was so great and it was available for free. And so I give, I, I, this was worth like 50 bucks easily, you know, and I don't care. I think it was amazing. And, and you know, if you, if you have the money and are willing to support it, people will actually support it. And just to, to like, I'm not talking out of my ass here because, um, I, I participated in a in a movie a friend of mine made, uh, which is called Human Bee, and it's a it's a Bitcoin movie. It's about Bitcoiners, and it's a German movie, so most people don't know about it. English subtitles do exist, so <laughs> if you're a subtitle guy, feel free to watch it. And and it's it's run completely on value for value. So I managed to convince um, the guy who made it to run it on a value for value basis, and he really liked the idea. And he was like, uh, he he was not doing this for the money anyway, so might as well give it a try. And 
someone this was yeah. during the height of the of the um, bull market basically someone liked it <laughs> a lot and gave a whole bitcoin and that's a that's a fat wow. value for value payment you know so we know that this works and that's again it's like you don't want to box in the the content itself and you also don't want to box in the value so just leave it open it's like how much was it worth to you for this person i assume he has a lot of bitcoin or whatever he or she who knows <laughs> and it was it was worth a lot and it's like okay one one bitcoin it, it was i don't know what the price was i have no idea but probably like fifty thousand us dollars and that was like you know that's a for some it might feel like an expensive movie ticket for but for this person it was like uh, i want to support the creator and send a send a signal that this was valuable to me and uh, that's what happened and mm -hmm. so i think i think we will see more and more of this because it's it's how should i put it it's a very nihilistic and dark idea that people are not willing to give back. I think the opposite is true. I think people are willing to give back. I think in general people are good and understand these things that you have to give back to, you know, to to to, to keep the music going and don't fall into the traps of, you know, spying and selling ads and uh, you know it. Uh, yeah, well, selling crap basically to to newbies. <laughs> yeah, and I mean we're seeing this also. Another example is Stacker News. Like every single day. You scroll through the top page there, and and if you, you can kind of like hover over the number of sats, and you can see how many people have have sent sats. It's now now that it's like every post has like dozens of of people. Some of those top posts get dozens of people sending in sats, and it's like three months ago that was like four people. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. now it's like you can clearly see there's this like, if you watch these numbers, they're growing really really quickly. Yeah. And it's happening in all sorts of contexts, right? podcasting, movies, it's Stacker News, like there's just, I, I feel like we're gonna have a dozen more use cases to talk about this time next year. Um, yeah. And it's really, it's promising to see. And um, I, I have one, one more I thing wanna... just popped into my, my, my mind, if you, if, you, if you don't mind. Uh, yeah. Namely, we talked before about, you know, YouTube moving to, towards the kind of tipping value for value idea, those kind of things. And, and just keep in mind, you know, that the philosophy behind value for value is currently being worked out by Adam Curry because it's all in his head and, and he's about to publish a like manifesto slash book, whatever, where he goes into detail why you shouldn't call it tipping because a tip, you know, like one BTC is not a tip. You know, it's something else. Mm -hmm. uh, tipping always implies low value, and it's it's not. It's it's value for value. It's like how, whatever, <laughs> however high you think it should go. So so thinking about it in tipping, that's al already what YouTube is is doing wrong. The second thing that YouTube is doing wrong, and it's not necessarily a problem for YouTube because they are big, but what all the platforms will run into is to integrate payments and do those kind of things. You will effectively become a money transmitter or a bank. And this is not a game you probably want to play. And that's where Lightning and, and, and this, this protocol idea really shines because you can specialize on, I don't know, like video streaming or like a podcast app or, or what have you. And you can just like, uh, you know, to receive payments, put your Lightning address into this field. And that's it. That's all you have to do. You know, and the rest will be taken care mm -hmm. by the Lightning Network, like externally, basically, and so on. And so, so I think, you know, and again, like, we still need, you know, something like Bolt 12 or whatever to, you know, like have offline reusable um, invoices, so to speak, that that don't change. <laughs> and <laughs> like we yeah. still need to make a, a lot of improvements on the lighting front for, for these ideas to fully play out. But they will play out because the opposite is that every single service that you use will be will will have to will need its own money transmission or banking license. And that's just not feasible uh, at all. 
Yeah. Okay, I have one more question before we get into the lightning round. Um, you know, you talked about some of the, you briefly said, you know, one of the one of the bad reasons for why value for value won't work is that no one's going to tip, right? Like that was a bad argument against value for value. I want to know what you think are the best arguments against value for value. Like if this doesn't work, steel man this argument for me. Uh, what is the reason, if, if value for value does not take off and it does not become the, you know, the system that everyone uses on the internet to pay for these certain types of content, um, what, what will the reason be? Huh. That's a good question. So I think, hmm. well, well, let me, let me, let me, let me go back like two steps or so. So, so the way, the way that I see it, it is, um, Fiat money is broken and it has to be replaced by something. I think that something will be Bitcoin. I think there are very good reasons to think that. Um, I think that the monetary space is limited. I think Bitcoin is basically perfect money. And I think all money is in competition with each other. Because all money competes for liquidity, all money competes for store of value, all, like all assets compete for store of value, basically. Uh, all Everything competes for like attention and mindshare and so on. And uh, I think Bitcoin already won the race. Just look at the hash rate graph. You know, like um, only proof of work works. All proof of work chains are in competition with each other. Bitcoin has like 100% of the hash rate, basically. <laughs> so this competition is over. Um, you know, and I, I won't even go into, you know, the merging of the energy sector with the mining market and so on. So, so, so this game is kind of over. I think Bitcoin will re replace the, will be the new monetary standard. If this assumption is correct, I believe a payment mechanism on Bitcoin will emerge that is something like Lightning or Lightning itself that will replace all other payment mechanisms, which is, you know, like the, 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 the <laughs> layer three, layer four payment mechanisms um, uh, of the fiat system, which is Visa and MasterCard and uh, Venmo and PayPal and all the rest of it. Like this, this, these are very high layer abstractions on top of the fiat system. We also have, you know, like interbank settlement with uh, SWIFT and ACH and so on. And this will also like this will be replaced by um, either Bitcoin directly or like a lay of top on top that does settlement. I say a lay on top because we also want to have, you know, like uh, better privacy guarantees, for example. We want to have better patching, probably those kind of things, so whatever. Like I'm just I'm just speculating now and this is like. 20, 30 years out, or, or what have you. Like, who knows how far out it is? It might only be like six years. Like, who knows? <laughs> anyway, like, I think it's clear that the first thing where Bitcoin really shines and has shined in the past and will continue to shine, and the same is true for Lightning, is online stuff. Like, pay, because, because for global merchant adoption, in every single country and so on, you will have to fight with every single jurisdiction and, and all the rest of it. So so online stuff is perfect. So I think podcasting 2.0 and the value for value idea for that is perfect. All that being said, I think that the trade-off of doing truly peer-to-peer non-custodial payments, there will always be a trade-off in terms of comfort, in terms of speed, in terms of fees, and custodial lightning solutions are superior to in in, in, in the in the respect to comfort only comfort <laughs> comfort and, <laughs> and fees and so on yeah. um, they are superior to doing it the proper way and so doing it the proper way takes more work takes more user involvement takes also more development work and so on and so if value for value 
as I have it in my head right now, fails in the next couple of years, it will be because it will be done on custodial solutions. That's not necessarily bad because we it, it might be a necessary step towards something that is truly non-custodial. And also keep I in see. mind that there is no like custodial solutions I'm not a big fan of custodial solutions, but they have the place. And if you if you're not at risk of being deplatformed and if you live in a free country and in a nice jurisdiction and so on, you might be able to use them. The important part, and that's true for Bitcoin, Bitcoin wallets, also Lightning and so on, and, and all the value for value podcasting 2.0 ideas. The important part is that your exit cost is very low, that there is no like vendor lock-in or anything like that, that you can take your podcast and you just got deplatformed and can move to something else and self-host or, or what have you and just do as if nothing happened. And all like all your fans, all your the whole user base will be able to find you and stream money again instantly. And it's just, you know, a, a different key send address or, or whatever. And so I think... Um, I think it will also be... The second thing that I can see is that, uh, I don't know, it might remain niche, you know, it might remain niche in the sense that most people don't care about this stuff and most people are fine with the brave new world of, you know, Google and Facebook and Twitter dictating their thoughts, basically, and their interests and, uh, you know, uh, they might be fine, you know, like it will be a merge of brave new world and idiocracy. But that's a very um, cynical take, and I try not to be a cynical person. So I, 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 I really hope that we are not running into this future head-on. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, I think we're ready for the final round here. It's called the lightning round. I ask listeners to send in questions. Um, are you ready for the lightning round? Let's go. Let's do this. Welcome to the lightning round presented by Zebedee, your portal into the world of Bitcoin gaming. The Zebedee app offers a full-featured lightning wallet seamlessly integrated with your own personal gamer tag so that you can earn Bitcoin on all of Zebedee's games on mobile and desktop. It's never been more fun to earn Bitcoin and Zebedee is your key to it all. To claim your personal gamer tag and start earning some Bitcoin of your own, Download the Zebedee app today. All right, first one, we have we had a couple of listener questions uh, sent in over Fountain. First one comes from And1, and And1 asks, how do you rate privacy in Bitcoin? Should more emphasis be placed on this in the development of Bitcoin, or are layer two solutions like Lightning and Liquid sufficient? Um, yeah, good question. I mean, there is a lot of talk currently around uh, privacy um, in Bitcoin. I think you know we went through all of this before. It's like it was like it it was just a different shitcoin before. It was Litecoin, and everyone was like, uh, you know, like you really should use Litecoin because Bitcoin is not fast enough. And if you want to have actually fast transaction, then you have to use Litecoin. And it's always like Bitcoin is not X enough. That's why you have to use shitcoin Y. <laughs> that's the formula. And and uh, you know it used to be Bitcoin is not fast enough, so you have to use uh, Litecoin. And now it's Bitcoin is not private enough, so you have to use shitcoin another one. And the, the way I look at it is um, most people that are actually working on Bitcoin and also on the protocol level, they are aware of the problems and are trying to work on solutions. And I think there is a path forward and it's, it's going to be like a death of a thousand paper cuts to make Bitcoin more private. It's also in the interest, I mentioned before, the, in, the, in the bank settlement layer, like you, you, 
Like it, it's <laughs> once the big money, the really big money comes in, and you have you know more micro strategies on Bitcoin and more like banks actually switching to Bitcoin. If you have the voice over IP moment of Bitcoin that banks settle with each like against each other <laughs> on chain, you kind of want to mm -hmm. have better privacy guarantees. So it will come and the, I think the investments will be made, the protocol upgrades will be made. We also know how we can kind of do it. I mean, a coin join, for example, a collaborative transaction is nothing but a batch transaction with multiple participants. So exchanges already do batching and it took a long, long, long time for them to implement batching, even though the incentive was there and the technology was there and so on. And so I think it will also, again, it will take a long time for this upgrade to happen. And I wrote about this in, 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 uh, in a, a recent piece, uh, which is called Freedom and Privacy, Two Sides of the Same Coin, that I think we are currently witnessing the transition, the analogy that I made is the transition from HTTP to HTTPS. So not too long ago, everything online was plain text, unencrypted. You could sit in an internet cafe and sniff network, tra network traffic and read all the emails, watch what people are doing and so on. And it took, like the HTTPS standard, like the specifications on, it's like 25 years old or, th or something. So it, it took almost like 30 years to switch from HTTP to HTTPS. And I think it took the revelations of Edward Snowden to really get going, like to, to really, you know, like everyone suddenly realized, all right, this is actually important having everything in plain text is not a good idea and we need to get going to, to fix this. And I think, I don't think it will take as long for Bitcoin, even though Bitcoin is harder to change. But I think saying that Bitcoin is not private is not correct. Bitcoin is pseudonymous. Oh. And if you know how to use Bitcoin, Bitcoin is already private. So um, it's, it will be a mix of kind of having certain protocols upgrade, pro protocol upgrades using higher layers and uh, also defaulting to better privacy practices to kind of deal with this issue. And I think it's, it's always kind of a, you know, it's a cat and mouse game. It's like, <laughs> if <laughs> it's <laughs> like- I like that wh answer. Wh wh why, should, why, why should you care about it if you're living in a, in a free state and you're not being like, you, 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 you know, like the government will not come after you if you, you know, send a transaction to some other person. But if you do live in such a country and your life is at risk, you will find a way to use Bitcoin privately, no problem. Like it's, uh, th that's, that's kind of my, my view of things. And also just as a last comment, um, for example, if we get cross input signature aggregation into Bitcoin and we already have Taproot, um, there is a monetary incentive um, like coin joints will actually be cheaper than regular transactions, basically. So, so collaborative batch transactions will be a thing because the monetary incentive is here. Um, like, I mean, that's all future talk, and you know, like the, the pessimists of the <laughs> Bitcoin developers are like, okay, next soft fork activation will be in like ten years from now, and who knows? Like, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> but a lot of people were also surprised um, by how quickly Taproot activated, and I'm not saying that it's a good thing. You know, like it's uh, it might have been a bad thing that uh, you know we set this president of. Um, activating something rather quickly but we'll see i'm i'm very optimistic and i think on the base chain for example i think bitcoin is it, it's basically fine like we'll we'll manage lightning is already way more private way 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 better than on-chain bitcoin and lightning has its flaws and lightning needs to be improved and lightning privacy is not perfect but you know the quote-unquote litecoin chills they ignore lightning completely all the time and you shouldn't ignore it <laughs> uh 
Okay, I, I like that answer. Um, another listener question was from Nico at work. And Nico at work says, can you steel man the case that we have too many philosophers or too few builders in Bitcoin? Oh, How do yeah, we that, change that? I, I don't even need to steal my this. I think that's definitely true. <laughs> like, you know, we have way too many think boys and, uh, you know, word salad people and <laughs> be wary of this. <laughs> and I know, you know, like I'm, 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 I'm uh, like borderline uh, one of those two. I'm, I'm, I'm very aware of that. But, you know, I'm also a software engineer and I actually work on Bitcoin software. And, uh, you know, I uh, uh, at least know some <laughs> things about the technicalities of bitcoin and so on but yeah no just get building like we need we definitely need more builders i i don't need to um steal my this at all i think it's definitely true like it's very easy like talk is cheap show me the code you know like that's what linus Torvald said and i i wholeheartedly agree like you know like think boying about issues is super easy but uh actually building something that people use and that is useful and that is engineered in a solid way is very hard all right, I have a couple questions for you now. Uh, first one is, are there any books that have meaningfully changed your view of the world? Oh yeah, definitely many. Um, hmm. But it's 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 always hard to, it's always hard to pick like one or two or three or so. Like I, I, I read a lot and um, I don't know. I think you know sometimes it's also. Um, I, I, I would also recommend this, especially if a book is short. So read a book like twice <laughs> and like in, a, a, a book will hit very differently in different stages of your life. So um, uh, like uh, one book that I reread, uh, for example, is Herman Hesse's Siddhartha, which, you know, it's, it's like a cliche book. A lot of people re read this one and reread this one and um, kind of uh, recommend it and so on. It's like a, one of those think boy philosophical books. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if it changed me. I, I think I really like, I like all kinds of books. I, I think there were some science fiction books that definitely changed me and this game comes to mind like it uh, i don't know why but um i really enjoyed it and uh it um and this game is in part to blame for my pseudonymous <laughs> appearance for example <laughs> because there's a character in there that uh does uh you know um uh yeah write something basically online pseudonymously and so on and um i don't want to spoil the, <laughs> the whole book now but um what was another one like um endurance was something that i a book that i have to think about often it's about commander shackleton and uh it's it's about how cold people can get that's probably one way of summing it up and every time i'm cold i always think about this book and i'm like no you're such a pussy you're actually not cold like you're you it's like <laughs> you know like you're so comfortable right now you have no idea so i think great books uh put things into perspective um uh one like non-science or non-fiction book that i really liked and that also changed my perspective on things was uh, from hans rosling factfulness which is an excellent book Un unfortunately he died um, not too long ago a couple of years ago uh, he has also excellent ted talks uh, I, I know a lot of people hate ted, TED talks nowadays because they you know they got inflated <laughs> they have the inflation yeah. problem of tedx and, and they're not excellent anymore but they used to be excellent and hans rosling gave some excellent ted talks and it's about viewing the world through data basically and actually you know um, visualizing data in a way that you can see what's going on and, and, and uh, he, he had a very nice way of thinking about the world in that sense um, 
one book that probably the most influential book it's <laughs> i read this a very long time ago i was rather young but it probably had the most profound impact uh, on my life was surely you're choking mr feynman by richard feynman who was a physicist and um it's one of my the favorite my favorite people on earth <laughs> he's also you know yeah. not alive anymore but um uh, because it was my my um kind of the reason why this book changed me so much is because um I was very good in school, but I was very good in school because I was very good at learning stuff by heart and just very good at writing tests and so on. And when I read this book and uh, uh, when I went into higher education, I made a point like I, um, it was very obvious to me that Feynman understood things insanely deeply and he did not remember stuff. He really understood stuff. And I was like, okay, I want to give this a try too. So if I, I don't, even if I know the right answer, if I don't understand it, I, I try to forget it. I, I want to really understand things deeply and then you can you can there's no way to forget the answer because you just know yeah. how it works and then you just can you know deduce the answer right on the spot the correct one and so exactly. so i think that that changed my, my my life quite a bit um i don't know there, there's so many it's very hard to to pick uh um individual ones that's a great list though i like i like all those recommendations you read them all? Um, one final question for you. <laughs> I haven't read all of them, but I've read Shirley, You're Joking, Mr. Feynman. I've read Endurance. Um, and I've heard of the others. Yeah. Um, I, I, have, I have one more. It just popped into my mind. It's also something that um, kind of... I don't know why, but it's, it always stuck with me and I have to think about it often. It's, 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 it's basically it's a roundabout book on, on AI, on artificial intelligence, because I think that's the... Second most important part after after Bitcoin, it's like I think uh, artificial intelligence um, is um, kind of an important thing going on now in the world, and it's called uh, Flowers of Algonon, and it's uh, about a story uh, a, a story about a guy who just gets smarter all the, all the time <laughs> and gets very smart and then very dumb again. Okay. And it's it's I think it's really good. It's a it's a short little book. Interesting. Um, one final question: If you had 10 years and you had to hold one asset entirely, all your net worth and one asset for the next decade, and it couldn't be Bitcoin, what asset would you pick? <sighs> that's an impossible, that's an impossible question. I, <laughs> I, um, I don't know. I, it, it's an impossible question in so many ways because I I, uh, I, I truly believe that everything else is a shit coin, basically, you know, I'm, I'm one of those people. Um, it's, it's one of those questions, though, that it, it makes it, it kind of illuminates, um, you know, the idea that, like, what did people do before we had Bitcoin? Yeah. Like, we, we actually had, like, because you're having such a hard time figure out, like, what's the second best? It's like imagine back, no second you know, best. 15 years ago, and there wasn't. No, yeah, it's like we all, we had to compete between the second, the third, and fourth best, and we had no idea that there was going to be this other asset. Um, you know, so it it, it make, puts it in perspective how hard yeah. you know I, uh, the I, decision I, was before. I think I think I I, I think I would um, pick no assets and just live a very 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 minimal life. You know, there are some people like that. The Richard Stallman is one example where you just. I, I never cared about wealth in the first place. I never cared about money in the first place. So I think I would just do that and just be a hippie and just have no money and no assets. Uh, I think that <laughs> that would be that would be my well, pick. So, oh, Nothing. so keep it in keep it in dollars, you know, keep it in fiat money. <laughs> is, is that the, so? The answer would be just keep it in fiat money. 
no, no, no. Have no money. Have zero money. Pick, pick nothing. Like, give everything so, away. Just so you know, like, live <laughs> like like, like a Buddhist oh, monk, like a Buddhist monk. You know, like okay. Just walk walk around and uh, um, just drink like drink that. water from a stream and uh, uh, drink water from from a stream and and collect some rice and that's all you need. <laughs> Interesting. Be self sufficient. I like it. Um, all right, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I know we've gone a little over time, but thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Um, I learned a ton about value for value. This was a great deep dive. I've been, I've been dying to do like a deep, deep dive on this topic specifically. So I'm glad we could do that. Um, before you go, is there anywhere, where can people go to, to learn more about you and your work? So, well, the, the best place to keep uh, up to date is uh, Twitter, which, of course, you know, uh, the irony is not lost on me because Twitter is a centralized platform. <laughs> but I'm, <laughs> I, I also self-host all my writings on uh, derggi.com. So, uh, derggi is my Twitter handle, D-E-R-G-I-G-I, -G -I, and my Twitter handle.com is uh, my site where uh, there are links to everything else. And um, yeah, I, I, I would, for everyone listening, I would highly recommend to give the article a about value for value, a read. Uh, you'll you'll be able to find it on derggi.com, and it's actually derggi.com slash busking. Yeah, thanks. And yeah, I, I enjoyed this massively. Uh, thanks for the slight connection problems, especially in the beginning. Uh, that's you know that's <laughs> I, I told you you know like that's it's my travel setup, and so uh, running the whole uh, operation, including video streaming uh, from a mobile hotspot, is it, it has its problems. But uh, you know, it's it's amazing that it works. It's just like lightning, you know, like <laughs> it breaks sometimes <laughs> a little bit, but it's amazing that it works in the first place. <laughs> we made it work. Thank you again for taking the time and uh, hope we can do it again soon. Thanks for having me, Kevin. I, I had a good time. All right. In the last seven days, you guys sent in 22,078 sats. That came in from 22 different supporters. Let's run through the top five real quick. We have an anonymous user from Breeze who sent in 16,460 sats. An anonymous user on Fountain sent in 2,562 sats. Urza underscore CC sent in 980 sats. Blogging Bitcoin sent in 332 sats and Lunatic Coin sent in 278 sats in the last week. Um, now, we've also got a bunch of comments and questions. I'm going to try and run through them all here. Let's see if I can get every one of them. Um, let's go all the way back to about eight days ago when the last episode came out. First, we have Marauder who says, great in response to episode 54 with William Kasserin. Uh, Coinictus says, thanks for sharing for Adam Curry's episode, episode 23. Daniel Angelov says, keep it up. Thank you, Daniel. Um, bon says, my imagination is buzzing right now, thinking all the possibilities presented in this episode. William's approach to a lightning built on top of the internet protocol instead of built on top of the web suite of protocols just makes so much more sense. I think the creation of my core lightning node got bumped way up on my priority list of things to do. Thank you, Bon, for the comment um, and for the sats sent in uh, 1,521 sats. Uh, this, this episode is quickly becoming one of the most popular ones I've ever done. Um, this episode 54 with William Kasserin. Uh, sneaking up there. It's, it's one of the top three, I believe, right now. Uh, so definitely check it out if you have not already. Uh, Purple Boar says, great talk, very thought-provoking. 
Dave Jones. Okay, so I guess Purple Board is Dave Jones. Thank you, Dave, for the 885 sats and for the comment. Um, we have uh, William who says, William15408 on Fountain says, did Udi give his bullish case on Lightning? I know he referenced he had one, but don't think that was addressed. Anyway, great episode, learned a lot, and thanks to you both. Yeah, we never really got into that. We, we had so much to discuss, and we went a little over time, but uh, I guess that just means I'll have to bring Udi on for another episode down the road. Um, we have RGBTC who says, love the show, Kevin. All these last three comments were in response to episode 55 with Udi Wertheimer. Um, we have and one who says, great episode. I think both are important, BTC maxis and people who are open-minded about crypto. Luckily, Bitcoiners aren't a like-minded group in all things. I agree. It's, uh, it was good to have some different perspectives on the show. Basically, everyone I talk to is fully focused on lightning. So it's, it's great to mix it up a little bit and see the opposite side of the coin with someone who's willing to share their honest thoughts about you know, what lightning is getting right and not getting right. North Junction says, thanks for all that you do. Sent in 220 sats. Thank you, North Junction. Um, Armstress says, I can confirm I'm much more likely to use payments via Fountain since I can see directly where the splits are going. I've been using Brave for years and was receiving rewards for a while. Never spent them because I don't care about supporting an economy based on the Brave token. I would have been way more likely to use the ecosystem if it was based on Bitcoin. Uh, BAT was just a pointless invention from the start. I wonder if Brave ever switches to Bitcoin. I think that'd be interesting. Uh, it's not too late to do it now, uh, even though they've been you know, headed down their token route. Uh, I think that'd be a really cool idea. Uh, and something I think, I think Impervious is headed in somewhat that direction on a Bitcoin standard, uh, but I'm not sure it's a perfect comparison. Uh, TN Bloomer says, good value for episode 54 with William Kasserin. Uh, Lunatic Coin says, great episode and podcast in general, my go-to lately. Thank you, Lunatic Coin. Amazing to hear that. Um, we had a couple questions for Gigi, which are already been answered. Um, JDAC says, balanced discussion on episode 55 with Udi Wertheimer. That's what we were going for, a balanced discussion. Um, glad you liked it. We had a few questions for Christian Decker, um, and those will be answered in uh, that episode. Tony Fontana says, nice piece in response to episode six that I wrote. I wrote an article on the Lightning Network's next big use case, and I did an audio version of it for anyone who wants to listen. Um, Crimson Monkey from Breeze says, here's a little value in exchange for a lot of value. Thank you. And says, thank you for your work as a pioneer leader in response to episode 49 with Paul Etoy. I hope he's talking about Paul there uh, because Paul is definitely the pioneer. Um, and actually the first comment, here's a little value in exchange for a lot of value, was with Adam Curry on episode 23. Um, thank you, Crimson Monkey, for sending in the sats and the kind words. And Tony Fontana says, nice podcast, man. Thank you to everyone sending in sats. As you can see, the list is getting very long and I'm not complaining. This is great. I'm so glad to see so many people sending in sats. Um, it's becoming a bigger and bigger portion of the show and uh, can't wait to see what you guys send in this week.